Hi, everyone. As you know, Vanderpump Rules Season 10 is officially over, which means Bravo and Blaze is going on a little summer break to spend some time behind the scenes. It was never my intention to go this long for Season 4 of Bravo and Blaze, but with Scandal, we just had to keep going, obviously. Don't worry, though, because we still have our Scandal Trauma Bonding Group on Patreon, where we're watching Season 10 with a fine-tooth comb, because... We need to. There's so much that we need to process. Also, if you're interested in how we built Bravo and Blaze from nothing, you can get monthly lessons, a live Q&A, and one-on-one session on Patreon as well. All links are in the show notes. I know that already sounds like a lot, but I am also spending the month of July doing some hardcore momming with my 13-year-old to help her start her own business online from scratch on Cannabis Mom Boss, which you can see here on the same YouTube channel or over on Instagram at the Cannabis Mom Boss. Scannable kind of turned our worlds upside down, but the real intention of the Bravo and Blaze platform is to bridge the gap between mainstream pop culture media and the true cannabis industry as an extension of health and wellness. I've spoken about my recurring diagnosis with cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome, or CHS, over the last couple of years, and now is the time for me to continue exploring this further for the best interests in my own health and wellness. So without further ado, this episode is part one of my interview with Len May, who is the CEO and co-founder of Endocana Health, which has a variety of tests that are integrated with your DNA results from a place like 23andMe or Ancestry.com, and it will give you results to help you learn what the best cannabis products are for your body. I hope you enjoy the next two episodes, but don't forget we're still Vanderpumping and Scandavalling on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and now Threads at Bravo and Blaze. Steal it. Welcome to Bravo and Please, where we're going to get lit off all the latest going on in the Bravo TV world. This is a safe and uncensored space to discuss our love for everything pop culture and 420 related. So grab your can of goodies and let's get lit. What's good, everyone? Thank you for joining us on Bravo and Blaze with Jenny Blaze. Some of you may have heard me discuss cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome or CHS before, as I myself have been diagnosed with this multiple times in the past couple of years. Well, lucky for us, today we have Len May, CEO and co-founder of Endocana Health. Endocana Health's mission is to help everyday people find a CBD or cannabinoid product that's right for their unique needs. As a certified health coach myself, I love this because one, I love science. I love health and wellness. I love biohacking and I also love weed. So, and not just, you know, to have a good time and relax. I love weed for its medicinal benefits. I have had my own personal life-changing experience transitioning from prescription medications to microdosing on cannabis and It was really life-changing, but also as an industry, there has been so much injustice in our country and with evolving legislation reform, I feel that it is incredibly important to educate the masses because we have a lot of catching up to do. 
And with that, let's bring on our guest. Welcome, Len. How are you today? I'm great. I have to tell your audience that if I'm a little bit slower, it's uh, because it's early in the morning in LA. So I'm only operating at like 75% battery life. So uh, <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there halfway through. So I'm great. You, seem, you seem great. You seem very bright and vibrant. So welcome today. Thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got involved in the field of endocannabinoid research? And what yeah. even is endocannabinoid research? Yeah, for sure. So uh, as a kid growing up, I was the kind of kid that would go to class and uh, the teacher would call me. My my mind would be elsewhere. Even though I got through school okay, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was in my teens and put on prescription meds. And uh, I, I can't say it didn't work for me. Uh, it did, but it really, how do I say this? Like I sort of removed my connection with self I, I was just going through the motions, but I uh, wasn't really feeling anything. And uh, I was hanging out with some older kids and they asked me if I want to smoke a cigarette. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll hang out with the older kids, smoke a cigarette. I never questioned why they only have one cigarette. It was kind of weird, but we stayed in the circle. They passed around a cigarette. It got to me. I took a, a drag of it because I was dabbling with cigarettes back then. And uh, it tasted weird. I coughed a little bit. I took another drag, inhaled, and... Uh, same thing. They they were laughing at me, like what? And they stuffed weed in the cigarette. So I I wow. I think I was high, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I went back to class, and the windows in my head narrowed in, and I could focus. And I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. I never said anything to anybody, but slowly oh. I transitioned off of prescription medication and started looking for cannabis as my medicine. So that. my every once in a while, my parents would catch me and. Uh, as I was uh, almost 18, they ended up uh, calling the cops on me and kicking me out. So oh the gosh. irony of this whole story is my parents both consume products uh, that we make and uh, or or manufacture, etc. But the and my dad actually left a testimonial for us or how well you know things are working for him after he did his DNA test, etc. Did so, he apologize in his review? He did not apologize <laughs> in his review. He did not. But he did say that, you know, he had two knee surgeries and he couldn't walk. And then he did a DNA test and tried a product and it worked great. So <clears throat> anyway, a long wow. story, a little bit longer. I became an activist. I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network. I held the first ever rally. I'm from Philadelphia. Originally, I held the first ever rally. Uh, Independence Hall for the Constitution, Declaration of Independence are uh, all on hemp paper, by the way. And yes. then, uh, <clears throat> and then uh, I had my keynote speaker, this woman named Elvie Masika, and Elvie was one of the first people to get uh, federally prescribed cannabis under the NIDA program. Uh, so she, for those of you who don't know, there was at the height of the program there were sixteen people that the federal government actually grew cannabis for, provide them enrolled cigarettes in a in a tin with a USDA label. Uh, for different conditions. Even though it was Schedule One and legal, you think about that, they would grow it and supply it and provide it and prescribe it. So uh, she would lit up a, a joint in front of federal rangers and it was legal. I was like, this is 1993. So this is uh, a long time ago. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and the next morning, uh, there was a, I, everybody stayed in my house. We got woken up to a loud noise. Elvie happened to walk into a sculpture I had in my house and break it. And the reason why she didn't see, she had degenerative glaucoma and she was almost blind until she medicated with cannabis and it relieved her muscles. 
So wow. that was my aha moment. I was like, well, wait a second. Cannabis works for me for my ADD, but also works for her for a glaucoma. Yeah. So uh, that became a journey. And uh, my ex-wife uh, told me I had to get a real job. So I went to work for like uh, Price Waterhouse and did some same stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we worked for the same company. I yeah, love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, I did all the big consulting and all that stuff. And I was a commercial mm -hmm. real estate broker and moved to LA and uh, got into the dispensary space. I was an owner and operator in five different dispensaries under the same brand. But the one thing that I kept trying to seeing is two people will come in and they would consume the same chemical variety, chemobar or strain as you would refer, mm -hmm. and have a completely different experience. Yeah. So my ADD kind of kicked in. I was like, let me try to find out. So I found, anyway, a little bit longer. I got into <laughs> plant genetics and yes. I started doing sampling of plant genetics, getting plant material from different uh, cultivators, bringing it to my lab, extracting the DNA from that and sequencing it. So we started the first genetic library of uh, chemical varieties called Canopedia with a K and put it on a blockchain. And the I didn't companies... know that you did actual lab testing to yourself. I thought you yeah. had like, there was already that all there, together. There, were no, there was no lab. There was no lab testing back in the day. Uh, it wasn't wow. regulated that way. And the lab testing, we weren't testing <clears throat> the, the original lab testing we did. We, we were testing to see what really was in this plant. So we had these names, yeah. right? So we have these crazy names. I don't know. I'll give you an example of a name. So there's yeah. a strain called Alaskan Thunderfuck. So, okay. who, you know, <laughs> Gra Grandma Mary is not walking into a dispensary and buying yeah. Alaskan Thunderfuck. But yeah. what is that? So when you actually yeah. get the, 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 the strain and you sequence it, we can see that it has these cannabinoids, these terpenes in it, and yes. we registered it and put it on the blockchain. But the, the parent company, uh, there was a pharmacogenomics company that owned them, and uh, they did PGX testing. So basically, it's testing for drug interaction for different uh, specific conditions, cancer, epilepsy, yeah. autism. So I thought, you know, I have plant genetics here. I have human genetics here that I really started moving into. Why don't we combine those two together? And the idea wasn't like, let's find the ultimate weed for somebody. The right. idea was to help people mitigate or avoid a possible adverse event. So if they use this as their personal GPS, they can avoid those potholes in the road and yes. then have a favorable experience to address yes. their symptomatic condition. Because if somebody does have an adverse event, some people may not go back to cannabis. Yes. And mm -hmm. they can tell other people, you know, stay away from the devil's lettuce or whatever. So this is the reason why, <laughs> yeah. this is the reason why we started our company in 2017 uh, the first six months, all we did was research. We looked at every single genetic biomarker that has a direct or indirect association with the endocannabinoid system. Uh, once we did that, we approached a company called Illumina that okay. makes genetic sequencing equipment. They made a, a special chip for us. So we sequenced about 675,000 genetic biomarkers, and it's done through a swab. You swab the inside of your cheek. Uh, you register because we're HIPAA and GDPR compliant. I think people are like, well, they're going to steal my DNA. I hear that all the time. That's what I was scared of too. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say, but if you're that special, they can steal your DNA from uh, <gasps> swabbing know. your Starbucks cup. But, I just uh, that, didn't want there I mean. to be a clone of me out there without me knowing. If there is a clone of me, I want to know that clone and that clone is hanging out with me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know if they can stand another clone of me. One of me is enough. So so that's basically the story. It's a, 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 And we just got our patent... And the patent is for the use of DNA to 
guide people to make recommendations around their endocannabinoid system through a graphical user interface. Yeah. We're pretty excited about that. Well, I love what you said about how, you know, it's to help prevent people from having an adverse effect because people who are not educated on cannabis and, you know, they're at their family Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, and Uncle Joe brought a joint or whatever, and they don't know, they don't even know not only like what ex exactly is in that, but then also on top of it, the dosage is another thing that I think, you know, can affect some people and the method of how they consume, whether they smoke it or if they take edibles. I don't know. Does your testing go that far to say like, yeah. you shouldn't ingest and maybe, you know, smoking is better or inhaling? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head and you talked about cannabis syndrome. Uh, we yes. did a clinical study on that. It's published on PubMed. If yes. anybody wants to just go in and type in Len May, I only have one study published, so you'll see. And there's a, a <laughs> I'll put a link pattern. to it. <laughs> Thank you. There's a yeah. genetic pattern associated with uh, uh, with cannabis syndrome based on our study. And one of the major factors is the series of genes called cytochrome P450. So the cytochrome P450 genes produce an enzyme that uh, enzymes that metabolize different things in our bodies. So there's one for lactose, there's one for gluten. Mm -hmm. That's why people have these sensitivities and there are specific yeah. ones for specific cannabinoids. There's a specific mm -hmm. one for THC, CYP2C9. There's a specific one for CBD, uh, C, uh, CYP2C19. And there's a specific one for CBD and THC together, uh, which is CYP3A4. So what happens is if you're a poor metabolizer, of THC, let's say, and you're consuming a gummy that's an isolated THC molecule. Well, there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, your liver converts that to a metabolite called 11-oxyhydroxide. So your onset will be slower. It'll be a much more powerful onset and it'll last longer. And if you have predisposition to like stress reactivity, which is also genetic, those switches can be flipped on. Now yeah. you can have a pretty intense experience and it'll last for a very long time. So if you know this about yourself, maybe yeah. maybe consume sublingually or combustibly yeah. and not uh, avoid your first pass. So yeah, yeah. dosing for sure. Yeah, because just from my personal experience, I never had anything like this happen to me until after I experienced a stillbirth. And when you go from being pregnant to not being pregnant, you know, your hormones are going nuts, right? And that's when I first, that's when it first happened when I went to the emergency room and I thought maybe this is like, is it alcohol? Cause I was drinking at that time <laughs> and I haven't drank in like over a year, but I continued like having these situations happen. I went like three times total and then I was like, okay, I'm never drinking again. <laughs> it's gotta be that. And I went a whole year having no issues. I've been feeling amazing. And then all of a sudden, um, actually it was like about a month ago, I had, I felt that feeling coming again and I, it happened. So I was like, okay, it's not the alcohol. Maybe this really is CHS. And, um, the reason why I said like, maybe it is and it isn't is because of some of the uncertainty. Like when you diagnose that in the hospital, there is no like ICD-10 code that says cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. It says cannabis abuse. Granted, I know that the systems don't catch up to the science all the time. So I, but it's still like, 
that is a signal to me that maybe there's something more going on. Like if we haven't gotten that far to even have an ICD-10 code, maybe we need to learn more about this. And then out of the four times that I went, I found that two of the times, and sorry for TMI because you're a man, but a lot of my <laughs> listeners are women. I did have, I was on my menstrual cycle two out of the four times. And it didn't even occur to me till the third time out of all four times that I went, the doctor was like, are you on your period? And I was like, why do you, why are you asking about my period right now? And um, he's like, well, we notice, you know, that this happens sometimes with women during their menstrual cycle. And I was like, what? And I thought that was so wild. Like, okay, that feels like it's being tied back to the original situation that, you know, like triggered this to start happening. And then this last time that I went, I had my period. And then I asked the nurse, because I was like, I don't know, this might be a long shot. But you know, for all the people you see that come in here with this, like, are they typically men or women or whatever? And she's like, you know, honestly, I can't tell you because I'm actually usually on a different floor. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And I like went back to sleeping. She comes busting it later, not that much later. And she's like, oh my God, guess what? You wouldn't believe this. I asked another woman or another nurse that's down here. She said she's never seen a man come in here with that. Granted, I know men who this has happened to. So this is like anecdotal or whatever the right term is for that. (laughs) So, but I feel like we may be onto something. I'm not trying to like, obviously this is not science that I'm speaking. I'm just talking about my experience, but well, you're, you're doing an observational study, which, and, and by the way, it, what we've seen, it does lean more female. Uh, I'm not sure about the menstrual uh, tie-in, but I, I can tell you that some of the findings that we saw had a lot to do with stress and yes. the genes that are associated with stress. So one of them have, is called COMT, C-O-M-T. So they call it the warrior, warrior gene. And depends on where it's triggered, you get an expression of cortisol and other uh, biochemicals uh, and, and other uh, neurochemicals, uh, I should say, that are secreted in your bloodstream. And what happens is it triggers other things like possible cyclic vomiting syndrome. So yes. people have, there's a tie-in, and I think people need to understand just in general how drugs work and what, what the hell yeah. happens in cannabis. And you're absolutely right about this whole notion of too much THC. THC is a very narrow therapeutic window. So taking a little bit of THC sometimes doesn't work for people. Taking too much THC, well, what happens? It binds you CB1 receptor and floods it with anandamide. And your, your body is always trying to maintain balance and homeostasis. So if you have mm-hmm. too much of something, mm-hmm. you have an adjustment. So your immune system is going to overcorrect, overrespond. And when that happens is you have too much anandamide in your bloodstream. So there's a signal through the vagus nerve that comes from your, your brain to your gut. Then your gut and your yes. brain both are going to speak to each other and it's going to trigger something. Hey, you know what? We have too much of this. Let's get rid of it. And that's yeah. really what happens in, in drugs all the time. And, and people always are, it's the drugs. It's, it's our own neurochemicals. I, I always give this example about cocaine, right? This is not advocating cocaine. We're not. We're not shifting his subject to say. I heard it's hey, like becoming legal. 
I swear I heard that it might be coming legal in Canada. I don't know well, if that's true. Maybe, maybe that. I mean, it's legal. It's it's legal in Portugal. All drugs are legal in, in Portugal. Really? And, wow. Yeah, and uh, and their drug abuse levels have gone down. Not that I'm advocating for this at all. Wait a minute. But- I read about this study. Didn't the um like the president or somebody he was like we're gonna make it e- or legal and set up actual centers for people who need to go have a safe place to use their drugs and it's a needle it's a needle exchange program so they have mobile like so they avoid diseases that are caused by through drugs they have a safe uh needle exchange and all that stuff uh uh, program but the, the the point i was trying to make with with cocaine is when 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 one consumes cocaine a ligand it binds to your dopamine receptor and it squirts 100 times uh, plus or minus 100 times more dopamine into your bloodstream immediately than you normally will produce. And then that blocks the reuptake. So your brain always likes to conserve energy. So then after the crash, it says, oh, wait a second. I don't have to create my own dopamine. I love, we love dopamine. It's the most addictive neurochemical <laughs> that it is. So the brain says, you know what? Signals, give me more of that. I want more of that. So we start being dependent on the dopamine, but cocaine is just a vehicle for that. Same thing with uh, with THC or cannabis. It's an yeah. andamite. We get that when we get the runners high. You know, people are saying uh, you run, you feel great, you, you have endorphins. Well, one of the neurochemicals that's excreted is an andamite. It feels good, but too much an andamite is actually your body's trying to excrete that. I, I was going to show him this this one guy, older gentleman. He goes to me, yeah, like I equate smoking a joint is like drinking one beer. I'm like, brother, I'll tell you something. You're going to smoke a joint nowadays? It's no longer the Mexican weed at 7% THC. <laughs> You're getting, you know, 30% THC in your joint. It is definitely not the same. So. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking like, I actually got into... The learning about all the different strains and terpenes and everything, because I was thinking from like the opposite of the, you know, your intention of, you know, like preventing adverse effects. I was like, I want to pick and choose what kind of cannabinoids I want and what kind of terpenes. And maybe someday we could get to a place where like each person has their own customized strain because mm-hmm. yeah. we could do that. Right. Right now, it's personalized, not individualized. So we can we basically use machine learning to create buckets. So this is your secret sauce. Let's say if you're prone to stress and anxiety, maybe having a formulation that's more balanced with THC and CBD that's, uh, that's an agonist and antagonist. Also, your terpene profile. So maybe something like linalool, which is calming, also found in, in lavender. Yep. People don't know what uh, terpenes are. They're essential oils that come in the yeah. plant. And they give the plant its effect and also its smell. And then the other one could be like beta caryophyllin, which is also found in clove and black pepper. And that one is an anti-inflammatory. So that's your secret sauce. So now you can then find specific formulations, specific products that have that ratio of products. We're at some point, we can have compounding pharmacists make that specific formulation for you, uh, whether it's uh, it's flour or it's an extract. So you can be an a individualized cart? way. I want <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, I want a cart and I want high THCV because that's an appetite suppressant. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest I'll figure out. But I was thinking along those lines, you know, a yeah. couple of years back when I started looking at the cannabis industry and like what 
the capabilities are because of science and technology. And I just think it's so fascinating. So beyond like making your own like luxury <laughs> strain, I guess, where else do you see the future of, you know, Endocana Health and what you guys can do going forward? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a biotech company. So the idea right now, we, we're looking at the endocannabinoid system, but we just finished uh, validating whole genome sequencing. So we're going from 675,000 uh, genetic biomarkers to 64 million. And the idea is <laughs> we're focusing on precision medicine because uh, overall, you know, the way medicines that I, w- I went to, uh, m- my daughter had to get a note for it. She, uh, she's graduating high school. She's going to college. She, I don't know. She had to get some note from doctors. So we had to go and it, it was a 15 minute uh, doctor visit that really reminded me of what they did 30 years ago. So he, you know, he checks the, Though he listens to her, I'm like, are you going to take out the mallet and hit her knee too? I mean, it's so archaic. Yeah, that's what they do. do. It's ridiculous. (laughs) So so for us, I want to have precision medicine. I want to make sure that whatever that is, is personalized to me. So the idea is you do the whole genome. And your genome is sort of your own personalized map or your own personalized GPS of health and wellness. Then from there, you have your own personalized protocol. And like, so we're looking at skin. We're looking at nutrients. <gasps> yes. What's what predispositions did your skin? What what is the type of things that you're putting on your skin that may yes. be inflammatory or may not be? So we're looking at that. Mm-hmm. Number two, we're looking at what nutrient deficiencies do I have personally? Yes. What's the, uh where what vitamin deficiency? Where I need to supplement? Which is my own. And by the way, as you were saying, uh, personalized. You can make personalized supplements. Uh, I was I just at a longevity conference, and you can make one formulation that has all your supplements in one uh, capsule. So you're only taking, instead of taking 14 yes. different supplements, you're taking one. So that's that's the future. And they can 3D print that stuff all day. Um, so cool. And then, so you're, you're doing your personal full genome test. Then you're giving yourself a personalized protocol. So a doctor will prescribe everything that is specific to you your own personal preventative protocol. So it reduces inflammation, et cetera. So you can avoid some of these diseases kind of uh, expressing themselves. Then you also measure with biometric feedback. So wearable device, uh, like an O-ring, a Garmin, uh, a Fitbit, et cetera. And you can see your biomarkers changing and you can use AI to be able to guide people into that. And then you do an epigenetic test. So our goal is biological age. One of the things that you know I, I said to for the team is we like to reduce people's biological age by seven years. So biological age yes. is like, I'm, I'm 51, but mm-hmm. biologically I'm 47. I'd like to be at 30. What can I do to be mm-hmm. able to reduce my biological age? So as my lifespan gets longer, my health span stays better. And it's because we have last 20 years of our lives, people spend suffering a lot. And that's what mm-hmm. we want to, avoid it's not about just living longer it's living longer happier healthier lives so bookending that experience with an epigenetic test you can measure that your protocol whatever you're consuming how it's working for you what's been turned on what's been turned off and you can measure Mm -hmm. things like methyl groups uh, rna etc so that's really the future and that's where we're going is precision personalized medicine i love that i i actually i've been on board with this biological age thing for over a decade now. I haven't tested mine, but I need to because it actually was a good way for me to set my own goals and like 
st- stick with a routine, even if I'm like, okay, I'm never going to reach like age 18 biologically again. I'm like, I don't know about that. Do you but, want to? Do you want? Yeah, to I don't know if I want to, but I mean, it's good to see like where you are as far as like your actual age versus your biological age. So I think that's really cool. It's, it's really interesting because uh, like David Sinclair, and not to get really deep and geeky, there's uh, there's Stephen Horvath who's got the Stephen Horvath's clock. So that's the biological clock. David Sinclair is the, the researcher from Harvard, and he talks about age being a disease, something we can reverse. And one of the things I was seeing in some of the presentations are there are animals living on Earth that live for hundreds and hundreds of years. And if we can look at their genetics and their epigenetics and what can we do to see if we can modify our own to make it similar to that, there's also animals that regenerate different things. So what can we do to learn from their DNA? What's in their DNA that allows them to regenerate? Like you have, you have the certain sharks, certain turtles live for hundreds of years. Yeah, I was uh, going to say turtles. Jelly, yeah, jellyfish. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like think octopus, right? So an octopus regenerates itself. It has all these different weird things in its DNA, but it doesn't live that long. And the reason why it doesn't live that long is because its purpose in life is to procreate and then that's it. It makes babies. And one of the things that uh, one of the researchers were saying at the show was one of the reasons why we age is after we actually procreate or have that or go through that time in our life where we're most virile and we have that now we already done what we, our purpose and now our cells start aging now we're that. dying <laughs> now we're dying, <laughs> we're dying every clicks. day <laughs> my hip clicks when i walk and i swear it's because i wasn't meant to last this long hey, try some cannabis you know? yeah no really honestly <laughs> well i love this one other thing i want to mention you mentioned stress One thing during my observation and my own study is that the drugs that they gave me in the emergency room that actually helped me to get over my, you know, episodes of cyclic vomiting were all things that were like around anxiety. They were not, it wasn't like anything for my stomach. It was like, they gave me morphine for the pain, which that was like the only thing that helped with the pain. But as far as like that, that feeling of wanting to vomit, it would only go away when I took anxiety medication. And I thought yeah, that was I, so interesting. Well, so there's a couple other geeky genes. There's a, <laughs> one of my favorites, part of the endocannabinoid system called FOP, fatty acid amide hydrolase. And the reason why I love this, uh, this uh, um, SNP or single nucleotide pimorphism biomarker, it produces an enzyme that breaks down anandamide. And this is really interesting. So what happens is when we have a stressful event, let's say that, uh, I mean, you obviously had a, a very stressful event. So in your stressful event, you have a bunch of neurochemicals that are pumped in your bloodstream. So you have some dopamine, you have some adrenaline, you, you have some norepinephrine, you have some cortisol, all those are in your bloodstream. And then when your brain, and maybe with the help of some of these medications or whatever mm-hmm. it is, after a while, when it starts getting to, uh, uh, when it starts understanding there's no line chasing the jungle, that fight or flight start dissipating, there's a couple of things that happen. Number one, there's a reuptake of those neurochemicals, and then your brain secretes other neurochemicals to get you back to homeostasis. And mm-hmm. one of them happens to be anandamide, 2-AG, which is uh, the endogenous endocannabinoid that is produced by you know, THC binding as well. 
Now, if you have a, a genetic predisposition to what's called homozygous, which is the same uh, nucleotide uh, for this uh, gene called FA, you're basically producing less anandamide than the average person. And when you're producing less anandamide than the average person, that cortisol in your bloodstream tends to stay there a little bit longer. And when that happens is your immune system can overreact to that as well. So having an overactive immune response to cortisol, what we'll feel is inflammation. Usually, and we feel pain. Usually it starts in our joints, our ankles, our knees, our hips, our I, neck, my our back, hands. <laughs> your hands. Or, yeah, all that stuff. It's, it, it's an overactive immune, maybe an overactive yeah, immune response, right? So, so when we have that, the good news is that if we're consuming cannabis, THC will bind to the CB1 receptor and release more anandamide because you're actually producing less anandamide because you're breaking it down much faster. But it's a very narrow window. So if you take a little bit too much THC, mm -hmm. especially during that time, it'll do the opposite. It can trigger stress reactivity. It can mm -hmm. trigger PTSD. It can mm -hmm. trigger trauma that happened sometime in your life, pull that into the moment. And now you're dealing with a flood of all those emotions. So if that mm -hmm. happens, now that, uh, that, that signaling from your brain to the vagus nerve comes back and your body says, hey, we don't like this over here. So it clicks and tries to get rid of that. And, and that happens, this is the cycle of stress. And people think about you know drugs in general. It, there's, there's everything that you put in, it's a balance, right? Like a seesaw. Mm -hmm. Once you put something in your body, there's something else that's triggered. And once you get that balance right, it's extremely therapeutic. But if you're mm -hmm. off on that balance, it can be, you know, pretty adverse effect for somebody. Yeah, I definitely need to do more digging. <laughs> and also, I see a lot of potential for a crossover into the beauty and, like, I don't know, skincare you mentioned. 100%. Like, I... And supplements too. I mean, you're touching 100%. a lot of different, you're like cross sector here. <laughs> That's really skincare cool. is skincare is huge because <clears throat> so and we have a bunch of testimonials. We've seen people with psoriasis, major psoriasis, who were given steroids and it still keeps coming back. Mm -hmm. And then through through a protocol, we got rid of the psoriasis. Because everything, like in my opinion, and I'm not a doctor, I'm prefacing this, in my opinion. A lot of these things that are happening to us that we see are caused by inflammation. Yeah. And inflammation is an imbalance. Something mm -hmm. is going on where you, your immune system is either under or overreacting. And when mm -hmm. that happens is we see something on our skin. Sometimes we put things on our skin that actually make it worse. It's not making it yeah. better. We don't know because we're, you know, we're flooded with ads and all those stuff. So as you said, skincare can be personalized too. Once we yeah. understand what's going on with my own skin and mm -hmm. different skin, your skin on your face is not the same as, you know, skin your, on your elbow yeah, or yeah. your elbow. So <laughs> we have to get, we have, <laughs> we have to get much better. You know, it, it was funny. Your audience may, may appreciate it. I went to this electronic uh, health conference and uh, they sat me down at a mirror and it's a smart mirror. Uh, oh, I think is, I know. Oh uh, yeah. It scans your face. You know about yeah. that? I think I know it blew my mind. Yeah. It blew my mind because it scanned my face. I, I don't know how real this is and how accurate what sign, but mm -hmm. it was just a cool experience. So it yeah. scans my face, says, 
you have some dry patches here. Mm -hmm. You have some wrinkles here. You have this here. Age spots. <laughs> All that. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah. and then it'll go through, uh, through like Amazon or whatever it is. It'll order you specific products right away yeah. that come to your home. So based on my my face, it, it sends me. Yeah. That, that's the future. I, you have that smart yeah. mirror in your home. I know. I actually was thinking about getting one and my friend was like making fun of me. So I didn't, <laughs> but now I want to get it. Well, I'm going to stick with what interests me and that is biohacking. And for sure, I think, mm -hmm. you know, using EndoCana Health and going to your website, endodna.com, I'm definitely going to go and get my test done because you also have, I did a 23andMe genetic test that my husband bought randomly and you have an integration with 23andMe and another um, integration as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, our tech works uh, this way. You, we can take any uh, report, any raw da data from any other test, 23me, ancestry.com, BAMI, DNA, anyone. Once you get your raw data from their site, you upload it to ours, we'll run it uh, and translate it, provide your report in 30 seconds or less. So that way you don't have to swab. Nice. You yeah. can just upload your results. Since you already own the results, why not repurpose yeah, them? Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it, so, like the the full test retails at one hundred ninety nine, and we're giving your audience a, a discount uh, as well. But if uh, and the, the data upload is forty nine ninety five. So for you already spend you know one hundred fifty whatever a DNA test cost for a little bit more money. Now you can look at your entire endocannabinoid system, and it's not our test is not just about you know, what's, what's the weed that's best for you. We look at um, all these biomarkers that are related to your own metabolism. We can look at your predisposition to caffeine metabolism, uh, obesity. Oh, we can look yes. at predisposition to alcohol dependence, to opioid dependence. Like, yes. so uh, like pain management specialists use our tests to show uh, their patients, they may have a predisposition to opioid dependence and they create a protocol that's more specific. Like I have an orthopedic surgeon that, that now what he does is he says, um, whatever opioid is only for the first two days after surgery, then he weans them off with a CBD protocol because they no, no longer need that because they have a dependence gene. And one yeah. of four people have that. And this can really reduce this whole no, you know, uh, opioid epidemic too. If we yeah. understand who to prescribe opioids to and who to not prescribe opioids to. So all those things, metabolic function. And one of the things you also mentioned is prescription medication. So drug-to-drug -drug interaction is huge. We have a lot of people that contact us that want to get off of their SSRI, their anti-anxiety or mm -hmm. their antidepressant medication. And they want to do that by consuming cannabis. But they're taking their CBD with their SSRI, but there's an interaction. So they have to be really careful not to consume their prescription medication with their phytocannabinoid. Stagger Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. how long you stagger for it depends on how you metabolize. So the test can show you all those things as well. I wonder, do you think, or would you push for, I'm sure you would, but would you push for this kind of testing to be almost standard now? Because when we were growing up, we didn't have this technology. This is now accessible, you know, more readily for the whole country. This could be very, you know, like, really life-changing for our whole society is that something that you guys are looking to do long term or i mean yeah i feel mm -hmm. like it should be standard because even like psychiatrists are 
prescribing all different, you know, antidepressants or SSRIs or whatever, and they don't even know if it works. They have to have their patient go through like a whole month to see if, oh, did that one work? Like then they go to the next one. It's like you lost like a whole year of your life just trying to figure out what medications work for you. Now you can just take a test. Yeah. So by the way, we have a mental health test. And one of the things that uh, we just filed a patent on, it's called NeuroDNA. And one of the things that we uh, look at is treatment-resistant depression. So somewhere around 30% of individuals have treatment-resistant depression. They still get prescribed SSRIs or uh, any of those medications that will not work for them, but they'll still get all the side effects from that. And then we'll look at other psychedelics, possibly like psilocybin, ketamine, oh, DNA, yes. et cetera. So we'll be looking at all those that. things. But uh, to answer your question, the United States is an interesting model. So somebody told me that uh, the pharmaceutical industry has the best subscription model in the world because they, once they get you in their subscription, it never stops. And yeah. they get, and you have adverse effects, side effects that they have medication for as well. So you're always on the cycle mm-hmm. of getting medication. Uh, so I was just in Brazil, <clears throat> and I was speaking there and meeting with the Brazilian government. And one of the things they're looking to instill is genetic testing as part of their uh, yes. protocol. So it's part of the health system. Now, well, I was going to ask, with- what's their, what is their health <clears throat> system like? Because ours is, the, you know. well, the difference <laughs> in their health system, uh, they have a, a, a health system that's available to everybody. I'm not saying it's better or worse than the United States, mm-hmm. but the one thing they do have is Health is part of their constitution. So they actually encourage health. Uh, they, they supplement health. They encourage preventative health. <clears throat> so like, I mean, I was in Rio. Everybody's beautiful. Everybody looks great. <laughs> Everybody's on the beach. They go from work to the beach. Everybody looks great. Everybody is outdoors, eating healthy, all that stuff. It's wonderful to see. Yes, they have their own issues. They have a huge unemployment rate. They have poverty in Sao Paulo. But Healthcare is something the government takes really seriously. For us, uh, I was on a call with uh, a bunch of insurance companies and uh, some of the providers, and they were talking about their number one issue they're trying to address is the rise in diabetes. But the way they're trying to address it is they're trying to make insulin more affordable. And I sat there on the call and I waited and waited until I had a moment to ask, have any of you actually thought about programs? Yes. Preventative programs. Because Why? that's like one of the most curable diseases that it's killing the most people is diabetes, right. type right. 2 Let's diabetes. Keep, right. Let's keep creating oh uh, genetically modified foods. Let's uh, uh, let's let's create all these foods that, you know, are going to heighten the people's predispositions to, uh, you know, diabetes, but they don't think about it. So to answer your question, uh, 23Me does have one of the first genetic tests that like that that's approved by the FDA. So they are looking, but the, what they're looking to do with that is uh, personalized prescription medications. So the first thing they're looking at is personalized, uh, uh, personalized birth control, for instance. Uh, great. I think it's a first step. And we've been using genetic testing for like BRCA genes, for breast cancer, all that mm-hmm. stuff for years. But the United States is way behind other countries in yeah. diagnostic testing uh, mm-hmm. using your genetics and your epigenetics. I speak to some do- doctors. They don't understand genetics. They don't want to learn genetics. They don't even think it's something that is real. They care what? about epigenetics. <clears throat> well, it's the same doctors that don't know. The real doctors? Uh, I mean, they're MDs, yes, but they they just don't know. And, and the challenge is because 
what happens after a while? We have specialties. So when a doctor's in, with their blinders on in their specialty, mm -hmm. sometimes they don't want to look at learning something yeah. else. And when they get continuing education, sometimes they coast continuing education just to be there. Some healthcare professionals, a lot of them want to learn new information. Functional medical professionals are incredible because they're looking at ways to be able to, to know what the root cause is so they can prevent these things. They love diagnostic testing. So yeah. as, as, as a whole, as a country, as medical professionals, we need to do a better job up front. We do a fantastic job at like things like surgery or specific markers. We can go in, we can remove something. We do it better than anybody else. But this whole notion of, you know, I, I, go, I used to go to uh, my, my doctor, Dr. Chen, who's a uh, Chinese doctor, a Chinese medical doctor. And one of the things that she, she did was really interesting. Always look, looks at my tongue. Tongue tells you a lot of things. <laughs> looks at the two pulses. Um, looks at well, your feet and presses something. That has to do with your liver. That, mm -hmm. like, we should be looking at those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Also, herbs. I mean, there's a, so many different substances that are grown in, in the Amazon that indigenous people in Brazil have been consuming for hundreds of years. If, if people need to understand, a lot of drugs that we consume came from plants. But They're then the mimicking. Yeah. yeah, the, the pharmaceutical industry takes it, synthesizes it because it said yeah. it's cheaper, it's easier to produce mm -hmm. than going to Amazon and getting a plant. But yeah. this is where it starts. So just be, having a, a mind that's much more open to looking at things that are preventing inflammation from triggering and expressing itself. This way yeah. we can avoid those uh, diseases that we may be predisposed for. And I, I'm glad Absolutely. you said that because I think personal diagnostics is the best way to go in the future because we're yes. all different. We're all individuals. So understanding, yeah. and there, there are systems or, or full body scans or full tests that people are doing, but the challenge is they're not affordable for everyone. So mm -hmm. you can go in, there's a, you know, I don't want to mention any names, but there's, there's a clinic <laughs> that, uh, you know, Tony Robbins is involved with, for instance, and people will find out what that is. Fantastic work that they're doing, but you know, they have a membership of like $40,000 a year just to join oh as God. a member. I mean, not everybody can afford that. So you no. want to make this affordable and subsidized by insurance. And that is yeah. one of the biggest challenges that we have in the U.S. healthcare system is mm -hmm. you mentioned these ICD-10 codes and CBT-10 yeah. and how you mm -hmm. get reimbursed. And that's why we have these 15-minute visits from doctors because they mm -hmm. get their money quicker 15 minutes without spending too much time. So yeah. We need a lot of yeah. reform in, in the system itself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because also this affects insurance companies. This, this affects all businesses because usually people get their health care through their employer, right? And so if they're not giving, I remember working for a really great company in Chicago in between my consulting gigs. And part of their new initiative at that time was taking more mental health days. They were like starting to realize that like mental, mental health is actually important. And I feel like if we could get the government to start, you know, jumping on that as well, we would be able to subsidize these testings and all these things so that people can focus on their true wellness versus like just trying to like get by with the system and like, oh my God, I need to get this insurance and have this claim, you know, take care of my copay for this. And that. like, this is out of control. We need to <clears throat> focus and, and on 
like each person. Yeah, and you hit the you hit the nail on the head. And 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 like if insurance companies stop looking at just numbers, actuarial science, and they start looking at what can we do to subsidize preventive preventative medicine, diagnostic medicine. Well, yeah. first of all, there'll be less claims. There'll be more healthy yes. people. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be more workers at work or at home now that we work from uh, from mm -hmm. home uh, without taking those days off. Yep. And yes, mental health and physical health are connected. We just mm -hmm. talked about stress and the vagus yeah. nerve and actually expressing, well, that yeah. happens all the time to people. And if people are going through stress, stress is one of the biggest factors on poor health. It expresses mm -hmm. so many different uh, things that are going on in our bodies. So these are the mm -hmm. things that we need to start looking at. Uh, there are countries that are doing a better job than us. There's uh, mm -hmm. Denmark, there's Switzerland, uh, Germany. And Germany actually covers cannabis with their insurance. Uh, they so, do? Yeah, yeah. So you, I did not know, know that. Yeah, so in Germany, the way it works is they have a system. A uh, doctor prescribes cannabis. They go into a, a portal. Uh, they automatically, they pick which condition it's associated with. It goes out, covers the cannabis, and then you get to pick and choose which they don't have a lot of varietals available, yeah. but, yet, but you pick that and then you have to report back to the healthcare professional how it's working for you. In Brazil, they write a prescription. Yes, it's 0.3% THC or less, but the system Ew. writes it. The doctor <laughs> writes a prescription. I know, but they're getting there. They write a prescription. Then you get your cannabis and they use mm -hmm. our test, for instance. And then you have to report back with feedback how it's working for you to get your next, next prescription. So you're constantly getting this oh, feedback loop and learning from that. So these yeah. are there are models in place that we can take bits and pieces and bring this yeah. to the country and actually make healthcare more personalized and more preventative. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Len, for coming here. We're gonna have to do a follow-up where we go through my results because I'm sure it's gonna be wild. I, I'm dying to know <laughs> what mine say, but for everyone who's listening, go to endodna.com and use code BB20 for 20% off. And I will include all the links in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for being here. This is great.